0: One question that I really need to try and avoid asking the children when they're up at the front is the question, do you remember what I said at the beginning of the service? Because to be honest, it's really disheartening when you realize no, none of the kids do because they weren't really listening to what was said at the start of church. And so I'm a bit loose today to ask this question, but I wonder, does anyone here remember back to the series looking in the book of Acts. We looked at the the church of the first believers in Christ, that exciting story of how this church emerged with the help of God's Holy Spirit, and we thought about that ongoing work of the Lord Jesus. And in that book, we discovered that it's in the city of Antioch, where those who put their trust in Jesus were first described as being Christians. That was the nickname that was given to the followers of Jesus in that city. And it is a name that those who follow Jesus have owned ever since. Christian, or literally Christ one, those of us who pledge our allegiance to the Lord Jesus, who belong to Him. And we know that right at the heart of our faith, is the cross where Jesus died. About ten years ago, Mel Gibson made a movie called The Passion of the Christ, and it was a a very divisive film, not least among Christians. Some churches used it as a, a form of outreach. Many other Christians had problems and struggles with all of the depictions in that movie. I remember going to see it at the time, and my observation about that film was that it dwelt on the physical suffering of Jesus far more than the Gospels do, that it actually focused so much on the the act of crucifixion in a way that the Bible does not. And of course, Jesus' physical suffering was immense and unimaginable. We should remember and we should be so thankful that Jesus was willing to endure that for us. But in actual fact, here's all that the the gospel writers say about the actual act of crucifixion. Matthew simply says, when they had crucified Him. And for Mark and Luke and John, it is as simple as three words. They say, they crucified Him. And in fact, much more is made of the words that Jesus spoke on the cross rather than what He went through, so that in all four Gospels, we have a collection of the words that Jesus spoke while dying on the cross. Now, remember that the Gospels are God's Word to us, but they're also very different from one another. And it's the differences in the Gospels… That I believe, actually add to their authenticity and prove how genuine they are. They're not some kind of stitch-up or some kind of carbon copy of the other books, so that in the Gospels we have different accounts of how the cross happened. We have the, the synoptic Gospels, as they're known, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They were all drawing from the same source of information, they had access to the same eyewitness accounts. But John stands apart because that was the gospel that was written by John, who was one of the twelve disciples. So that we get this amazing first-hand account of what actually happened in the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And in that gospel. John often describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, as he does here in this passage in verse 26. And you need to understand that that is not a boast. That's not John saying, oh, look at me. It's not John trying to to make it look as if he was a special one of Jesus and, and someone who had Jesus' affection. No, this is an acknowledgement of grace. It's a recognition that He was so undeserving of the love of Jesus, and yet, imagine it, Jesus had a love for someone like Him. Turn again with me, please, to John chapter 19. I can see lots of Bibles already open, and that's great, because for a few moments towards the end of our service, I want us to look at two of the sayings of Jesus on the cross that are unique to John's gospel. We're going to spend most time looking at the first one and then just make reference to the second. But let's begin in verses 26 and 27. There were told by John that when Jesus saw His mother there, that's at the cross, and the disciple whom He loved standing nearby, He said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And when I've read that all the way through my life, when I've been at church or when I've been reading the Bible for myself, I'll admit I've always wondered why was that put in there in the gospel account? Is this John? Being a little bit self indulgent because, after all, the disciple who's being referred to here is John himself. Is this John just putting in that this little moment happened for his benefit or for his good? Because, in some ways, this saying of Jesus seems a bit inconsequential. It's not like, Father, forgive them, for they they know not what they are doing. It seems a bit mundane, a bit ordinary. And yet, when we look at this verse and this saying of the Lord Jesus, I believe that this is hugely instructive to us in understanding who Jesus is and why He came into this world. What does this verse show us, this saying tell us? First of all, it points to the humanity of Jesus, so that we believe that the Lord Jesus is fully human and fully God. That's hard for us to get our heads around. We're not saying, and the Bible is not teaching, that He is half man and and half God, but that somehow, at the same time, Jesus is both fully human, as much a person as you are and I am, but also fully God, fully divine. And certainly at the cross, we're able to get indications of the humanity of Jesus and the suffering that He's going through. Look at verse 28. He says something that is very mundane and something that we experience and we probably say every single day of our lives, I am thirsty. And I want you to see that Jesus lived a life like yours that He was in relationship with others, that He had family and friends, that He had commitments and and obligations to others just as you and I do. But of course, the big difference is that He lived this in a sinless way, never failing His Father, never letting God down, and that's what qualifies Him to be there at the cross, taking our place and taking our sin upon Himself. Jesus is just like us. So, what does that mean for us? Well, a great thing for us to know today, it means that Jesus understands the struggles that you have, the temptations that you face, the difficulties that you're going through in your life right now. Jesus understands so that when He rose again, and when He returned to be with His Father in heaven, where He has that priestly role, what that means is that Jesus speaks up for you if you're one of His followers, someone who has trusted in Him, that He represents you before God. Well, this is what the writer to the Hebrews tells us. Look at Hebrews 4 and verse 15. He says of Jesus, for we do not have A high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus understands. But this verse, this saying of Jesus, it also points us to the compassion of Christ. Think about it, that he is going through this unimaginable pain and suffering, and yet in this moment of great agony, he's not just simply thinking about himself, he thinks about his mother's welfare and the needs of one of his disciples, John, so that in those moments, instead of focusing on himself, he says in his agony, "'Here is your son.'" and here is your mother. And we really don't know much about the family circumstances of Jesus at this point in his life. We we don't know where Joseph was, his earthly father. Was he dead? We don't know, but he's certainly not mentioned in this part of the gospel. But here's what we do know in the light of what the Lord Jesus says in that moment on the cross, we know and we understand that our families really matter. Think about it, Jesus, in the course of fulfilling His ultimate mission, and there was nothing more important, nothing greater that Jesus would do than this, and yet in that moment, He did not forget His family. And so, there's a very clear implication today. If you love Jesus, and if you are committed to Christ and to His church, as we serve Him, we should never, ever want to forget our family. Never use service to the Lord as an excuse to neglect your own loved ones. Never. And sadly, too many of us do at times, especially ministers, but it was not the way of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, as He fulfilled this mission, thought about His mother, thought about His friends, thought about those who were in need. And so, here's what this means for us. It's a great truth. It tells us that Jesus really cares. And remember that Jesus shows us what God is like, for He is God incarnate. He is God with us. So, we think about what Peter says of the Lord in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. He says to his fellow believers, cast all your anxiety, cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. What a great truth to hear today, that the things that you think God will not be interested in, the things that you imagine God would have no concern for, they actually matter to the Lord. Your children and the struggles that they go through, the disappointments that they bring, it matters to the Lord. Your aging parents, with all of the responsibilities that it brings your way all of the pressures and all of the turmoil that maybe some of you are going through, it really, really matters to the Lord. He cares. But on a deeper level, I think there's something else that Jesus is helping us to understand when He speaks these words to His mom and to John, and that is what He achieves at the cross, the the achievement of Jesus. Because if you look, you'll see it's not a case of Him encouraging them. Be a mother to Him, and be a son to her. No, it's a statement of fact. It is, here is your son, and here is your mother. And it's what the Lord Jesus does at the cross, that through the cross, we are reconciled to God. So, that Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 20 that God reconciles us to Himself by making peace through Christ's blood shed on the cross. That's what's going on here. But not only that, in Christ we are then reconciled to one another. So, here is what Jesus achieves. Let's look ahead in John's gospel to the resurrection, and to the the first words spoken by the risen Christ. Look at John 20 and verse 17, and the amazing message that the risen Jesus gives Mary Magdalene to bring to the disciples. And I want you to notice the words really carefully. He says, "'Go to my brothers.'" Hang on, these are the guys who deserted Jesus, who completely bailed out on Him who failed him in those previous days, who were nowhere to be seen, and yet he says, go to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. What amazing grace. And I wonder today, are you part of this great family, we think of those other words that Jesus spoke with His dying breaths. Verse 30, He said, it is finished. And to many people listening on, that would have been regarded as just a neutral comment. It was Jesus saying, my life's over. Some even thought, no, it's the wine that's finished. He's talking about the drink. Other people would have regarded this As a negative comment. It's as if Jesus was saying, the game's up, because it seemed that all of His hopes and His plans, all of His great words were dying with Him. But today, to those of us who have benefited from His death and who know God's great plan of rescue, His his salvation, will we understand this to be a cry of accomplishment and victory. It's Jesus saying, the job is complete. The job is done. So, think back again to what Jesus goes on to say to His disciples through Mary Magdalene in chapter 20, verse 17, that by His death, these men became His brothers, that by His death, these men and and those women who came there that, that first morning could now call His Father their Father. And the same is true for all men and women and children here today who would turn to Christ. This is incredible that Jesus includes His followers in the way that He relates to God. And people, this is what happened at the cross. This is what the the death of Christ did. It opened up a way for people like us to approach God in the way that Jesus approaches Him, to refer to the, the holy, powerful God of heaven who made everything, including you, to refer to Him in the way that His Son does. And so, I simply ask today, in the light of all of this, in the light of these wonderful truths that we hear from Jesus in His dying moments on the cross, is God your Father and your God? Known to you in that way through Jesus being your Savior and your Lord. For this is what the Lord Jesus did. And we say, hallelujah, what a Savior. Amen.